I don't know about any of the rest of you, but I will be glad when that Jacob gets back from honeymooning. I'm not used to wearing two hats, and uh, so I'll be glad when he's back next Sunday, and be good to introduce him and Sarah as husband and wife to you and the congregation. Had a beautiful wedding last Sunday evening, and there will be a, a big reception coming later after the virus scare kind of dies down a little bit, and, and uh, we'll look forward to that. Um, man, what a week it's been. I got I to gotta sit down. Um, it's, been a, it's been a crazy week, um, but it's been such an amazing week at the same time. Um, first of all, I'd like to introduce you to my father-in-law, who is now a liberal light. Carl has moved in with us, and we're delighted about that. And I uh, hope you all get to meet him, get to know him. You'll love him. Um, I guess I'll start with Tuesday. Tuesday, Belinda received a call from National Beef, and National Beef um, indicated that they wanted to give a donation to churches that were active in the community, and hey, who's going to say no to that, you know? Uh, they were asking, we were saying, uh, how soon can you get it here? No, that's not what we said, but... Um, it was amazing how quickly they got it here. Uh, on Thursday, uh, Jake came about, what was it, Jake, quarter till 8 o'clock in the morning with the skid steer loader. The semi was here on Friday night, and we unloaded 42 pallets full of fruit and vegetables to give to our community. And, uh, I mean, that was amazing. But then I went back to my office, and the doorbell rang, and it was National Beef. Um, a couple of the higher-ups from National Beef came to deliver their donation. And all week long, I'm thinking, well, that's great. It'll be a nice, you know, maybe $500, $7,000. I about passed out. But I don't think that it was a coincidence that that check came on the same day when we were doing something so amazing for our community. Uh, together with New Beginnings Church, and, and I want to come back to that because that's really important. Uh, together with New Beginnings Church and in partnership with Convoy of Hope and Rural Compassion, we first of all gave 160 of those boxes of fruit and produce to a couple of churches out of Hugoton so that they could dispense some to their communities. And uh, when people started seeing Jake load those pallets into the back of the uh, vans and the trailers that uh, uh, Hugoton had brought over, they began pouring in, and before I knew it, I had a line of cars. And they weren't, we weren't supposed to start to deliver to the community until 12 o'clock. Well, at 11.15, it was on. And uh, so I quickly got on my phone and just simply texted four letters, help, <laughs> to New Beginnings and to Brenda and several others, and five minutes help was here. But the line of cars, by not too long after that, stretched all the way to Dollar General in Garden City, or Garden City. <laughs> that would be a really long line, and boy, I'm... I'm really glad it wasn't quite that long, but in liberal. 
And it remained that way for the better part of an hour, hour and a half. Uh, it ended up, after giving the 160 boxes to Hugoton that we were able to dispense to our community, 720 boxes of fruit and vegetables. And the amazing thing about it, and you know, you've all heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. I'm not sure we didn't see that happen because we were down to about two pallets left and the line was still back to Dollar General. And I told Pastor Kevin, I said, there's no way we're going to be able to service all of those cars. Do you know that we ran out of, of uh, boxes of fruit with two cars that came in late? Everybody that was in those lines got served. And it was almost as if God was multiplying it as we went along. But it was one of the most amazing things that I've ever been a part of in church. You know, we knew that this was coming a couple of weeks ago, and I, I thought to myself, man, I hope we can get rid of 800 boxes of, of fruit because it might get a little fragrant back there in the activity center uh, if we can't. And I, at best, I was thinking, oh, we'll get rid of them by evening or maybe have a few left tomorrow. Two hours and 45 minutes. 720 boxes. It was absolutely the most amazing thing that I've ever been a part of. And, and the reason that for that is I saw the church in action. I, I didn't see this church or their church. I saw the church in action. I saw the hands and feet of Jesus in a tangible form doing what he told us to do. He said in Matthew chapter number 20, 18, I was hungry and you gave me meat. Well, we didn't give them meat, but we gave them food. And he said, when you've done this unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Friends, that's what it's about. And, and the thing that just sticks in my mind is we weren't promoting new beginnings. We weren't pr promoting Trinity faith. We were just out there promoting the kingdom. And uh, the liberal first newspaper did such a great job in their article. I don't know how many of you saw it, but uh, just did a great job covering it. And we had, after I cried out for help, I think we had 25 volunteers from both churches. And so we had plenty of help, but it was hot. It was really hot. And uh, I think most of us were, felt like uh, wrung out dish rags by the time the afternoon was over. We used all the water that we had in bottles here at the church uh, before the afternoon was over. But really appreciate Doug and Grondike and Jake uh, furnishing the forklift. I can't imagine what it would have been like if we'd had to carry those boxes out of the activity center all the way to each and every car. Uh, we appreciate that and appreciate Gary Salaska bringing the hand pallet jack. And, and it, it just went off like clockwork. And, uh, you know, we're going to get involved in more things like that. I've already been notified that here within a couple of weeks we're probably going to receive a, a truckload of Idaho potatoes. And uh, they can just drop all of those off at my house. I love potatoes. Uh, but uh, it'll probably be something similar. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, just wanted to share it with you. And like I said, I don't think it was a coincidence that, that we get a contribution such as we got on the same day that we're doing something like that for our community. And so it was just a, a wonderful day. And uh, one that I won't forget for a while.
If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, I'd like for you to go with me to the YouTube app on your smartphone, Mark chapter number 8 in your Bible. While you're turning there, I uh, was reading not too long ago that in August of 2003, the Church of the Holy Cross in New York City uh, was vandalized on two different occasions within a month. On the first occasion, thieves made away with a metal money box that had been resting next to a candle rack. And then three weeks later, they... I don't know if it was the same ones or not. I, I don't know if that was ever found out. But the same van, uh, similar vandals escaped with something much more valuable. This time, they unbolted a four-foot-tall, 200-pound plaster image of Jesus from the wooden cross upon which he was fastened. They took the 200-pound image of Jesus but left the cross. Now that presents an interesting dynamic, particularly if you are Catholic, because the church caretaker, whose name was David St. James, later said that he was very bewildered because they just decided we're going to leave the cross and take Jesus. We don't know why they just took him. We figure that if you want the crucifix, you take the whole crucifix. In other words, St. James was saying, if you want Jesus... You have to take his cross. That's what I want to visit with you about this morning. You know, when I read that story, I'm, I'm almost a little bit embarrassed to admit this. But I understand the choice of those thieves. I'm sure they probably weren't consciously thinking, we're going to take Jesus, but we don't want anything to do with his cross. Uh, for whatever reason, they, that's the way they chose to do it. But... As I thought about it for myself, I thought, you know what? I like the person of Jesus. I like the character of Jesus. I love his clever and compassionate way that he, that he treated people. I, I, I admire the simplicity and the balance of his teachings. I love the stories about Jesus. According to almost every study that I have read over the past 20 years, millions of people from around the world, even those who who hardly ever darken the door of a church building, uh, they, they have an admiration for Jesus the person. They have questions about God. Uh, they're quite attracted to the person of Jesus. But when it comes to his cross, not so much. And you know what? I already said I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I can kind of understand that. Uh, it is a little bit more complicated, and some of us prefer not to get too close to the cross. After all, as we have heard over the news this past couple of weeks, there's already enough violence and blood and, and cruelty in the world that we live in. Why would we want to sign up for any more by taking upon a cross? Well, many have asked the question, haven't more wars started as a result of religion than any other issue in the world? And it's true. Hasn't religion often wrapped itself up in the same kind of violent horror that we see in the person or in the image of the cross? And who wants to associate with that kind of thing? So I can appreciate that kind of sentiment. 
But there's another reason that, that I'm inclined to want to have all I can get of Jesus and not so much of his cross. And it's this. There are times when I just want to think about the cross and what Jesus did on that cross. In all honesty, the cross fills me with awe and, and gratitude because I still can't get my head around the fact that Jesus willingly took upon himself the punishment of the cross for me. And so there are times when I just want to think about the cross in that way. And along with millions of other people around the world, I, you know, I've often thought, thank God that Jesus died on the cross. I don't have to. Well, on love, one level, it is true when followers of Jesus say, Jesus died on the cross in my place. It, uh, it should have been us that hung on that cross. That's all true. But the Apostle Paul gives us some words, and you don't have to turn there. I'll just share them with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Paul says there, I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel that I preached to you, for which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. That Christ died for our sins in, according, in accordance with the scriptures. You see, it wouldn't have been the same for you and I to die on the cross. It took Jesus, the sinless, perfect one, to die in our place, to take upon himself... Our sin and the penalty of our sin, death. If you and I had died on the cross, we'd still be dead. But because Jesus was sinless and perfect, it took Jesus. It required that it be Jesus. And in that passage of Scripture, Paul is describing what some who have gone to Bible college, others who have gone to seminary, Many of you who are, are Bible students, Paul's describing what is called the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. And that doctrine states that Jesus voluntarily substituted himself in the place of punishment that should have been ours. And he did it because of our sinfulness so that our sin could be forgiven. He, I, I like to think of it this way. He took the bullet of evil... He took the bullet of evil so that we wouldn't be destroyed by the evil that surrounds us. And he pushed us out of the path of the judgment that was going to thunder down upon us because of our sin. And it even gets better. Jesus, as the one and only innocent being in the entire universe, said to the divine judge in the court of judgment, Your Honor... Let me die in their place. Let me be executed instead of them. Let them go free. How many of you are glad for that this morning? Hallelujah. Well, Jesus' substitutionary role is this towering mystery around which Christ followers all across the globe and throughout history have united. And I hope each of us here today have have taken in the amazing truth of, of Christ's work on the cross for your sins. I hope that each one of us have accepted by faith that Jesus offered himself as this sacrifice that was worthy and weighty enough to cancel every debt of your sin and mine. And with that work of atonement on our behalf, 
Jesus made it possible for us to put our trust in him and for us to be reconciled or made at one, there's that word, atonement, with God. He made that possible. He died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. Now let me just quickly say that there are other reasons why someone might uh, want to take Jesus and leave the cross. Some may want to do it because they don't want to get too near His blood. Others may do it because they want to honor His blood. But in my mind, there's another reason, and it's the best one, that we might leave the cross where it stands, and it's because we don't want to have to shed any of our blood or endure any suffering ourselves. And that brings us to Mark chapter number 8, where I ask you to turn earlier. You know, we like the person, we like the character of Jesus. We're people who love the idea of being forgiven, amen? But we aren't sure we want to follow. We're not sure we want to be reformed by Jesus if it means taking up our own cross. Mark chapter number 8. And I want to begin with verse number 34. Jesus calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It's a great passage of Scripture. If you want to read it in its full context, it even has more meaning. Because just prior to Jesus giving those words, Peter has made the ultimate confession that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And while Peter's proud of himself for having given the right answer, Jesus brings him back down to earth and says, Peter, you got to take up your cross. Peter didn't have any idea what that meant. But we do now. It's interesting that years and years ago, I heard a pastor preach a message that I thought that he had given a provocative title to. The title to the message was Marriage, A Sneaky Way to Get a Person Crucified. (laughs) Now, (laughs) um, at first that title didn't seem very appropriate to me. In fact, it seemed kind of crazy to me. Because what in the world does marriage have to do with crucifixion? But as I listened to the words of that pastor's sermon, I realized the answer was that marriage does have quite a bit to do with crucifixion. I mean, think about it. You don't sign up for marriage because you're thrilled about the prospect of learning to deny yourself. You don't sign up for marriage because you're thrilled with the idea of losing your independence. You don't go into marriage thinking, oh good, this is going to be really hard. You don't go into marriage 
thinking, thank goodness I'll finally get to have my character defects nailed to a cross and flogged daily. <laughs> Nobody goes into marriage or any other covenant in life because they're eager to take up a cross. I hope you're hearing me this morning because, I mean, who would voluntarily... Let me just give you a silly example. Who would voluntarily sign up for a summer camp whose symbol was a giant mosquito? I wouldn't. I mean, you pull up to the campground and you see a sign advertising it. It says, come to Camp Stinger. We love your blood. I'm not going there. But in a very similar way, when we stop and consider the ways of Jesus, some of them just seem kind of crazy too. And yet when we sign up for Jesus and sign up to take our cross, we have to incorporate those seemingly crazy things about Jesus into our own lives. You're saying, well, pastor, you better give me some of those because you're talking about Jesus and I don't like him called crazy. Well, I'll give you one. Somebody punches you in the jaw. Jesus says, turn to them the other cheek also. That's crazy. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Discipline yourself from not only touching a member of the opposite sex with lust in your heart, but even looking at them with secret desire is a sin. Jesus said, visit criminals in prison. Give your hard-earned money to a cause that may not benefit you in return. There's a crazy in the eyes of the world. Our flesh even cries out, no way am I doing that. It's unrealistic. It's overly demanding. It, it, it's hard to even consider walking through life in that way. Yes, Jesus' teachings are countercultural to the world in which we live. And it's much easier for us to live in the world without carrying the cross of Jesus and His ways than it is to go along with His ways. I'm just being honest. But Jesus then implicates in verse number 38 of Mark 8 that we had up on the screen, or I guess it's still there, that when we perceive how hard and how countercultural the way of Jesus is, it would be easy for us to become ashamed of his words. That simply means that we may have the tendency, once we take up our cross, to dilute the teachings of Jesus to diminish them, to attempt to, to tone down the harsh sound of his teachings. Tone it down for the sake of making everybody happy. Well, A.W. Tozer, the great Bible commentarian that I reference often, was very concerned that that was exactly what was happening to discipleship in America way back during the 1930s and the 1940s. He wrote in his commentary, and I quote, We live in a spiritually troubled time in history. Christianity has gone over to what he called the jingle bell crowd. 
In other words, Tozer felt Christianity had become this path of being cordial to everyone, accepting everyone no matter how they lived, in, uh, living and indulging in whatever you wanted to, to indulge in. He believed that's what was happening to the America of the 1930s and 1940s. In other words, everyone's mindset, even in the church, was becoming eat, drink, and be merry. Whatever goes, goes. Well, he went on to describe it as being a sort of self-indulgent Christmas cheer. Again, quoting, he said, Everyone is just delighted that Jesus has done all the sorrowing and the suffering, all of the dying for us. Well, the implication is that since Jesus has done all of that, we don't have to do any of it, right? That's not what the Word says. We have to take up our cross. Avoiding the pain of taking up our own cross is not something new to people who follow Jesus. Clear back in the 5th century A.D., Augustine wrote these words, It is necessary to die, but nobody wants to. We want to reach the kingdom of God, but we don't want to travel by way of death. And yet there stands it as a necessity saying, This way, please. Then the writer to Hebrews comes along and he says, It is appointed unto man once to die. Now we're all, unless Jesus hurries up his coming, we're all going to go by way of the grave. But for the child of God, who, one who has taken up their cross and followed Jesus to the very best of their ability, there is no fear in death. And I'm thankful for that. But that's another message. It's crucial for us to remember this morning that Jesus' purpose in calling believers to take up their cross was so that they might live more fully while they are here. His call is for us to die to ourself so that He, Jesus, His heart, His soul, His mind, and His strength might be made more fully alive in us. In other words, we die to self so that he becomes alive and living in us. Now, here in Mark chapter number 8, Jesus is imploring or begging his, his followers to not be content with trading down in life, but rather to trade up in life. He's saying, don't buy into this gain the whole world stuff. Don't, don't buy into this more-for-me mentality that's the rage of humanity in every century. He warned them that if they did that, you'll, they would only forfeit or lose their soul. When you lose your soul, friends, you lose your shot at the most real and renewing kind of life available to man. Jesus spoke of it as the abundant life. Now think about that. Think about the range Take up your cross, live abundantly. Those two things don't seem compatible with each other, do they? I heard somebody say once, there are no comfort zones on a cross. It's true. When you take up your cross, you're not signing up for a life of comfort and a life of ease. You're called, for a life of, you're called to a life of suffering. And who signs up for that? People that want the abundant life that Jesus provides. Here's the blunt truth, friends. 
If our goal is to be like Jesus, we have to do what few people naturally will do. And it's this, we have to choose what I'm going to call the crossroad, the road of the cross. We have to go the way of foolishness in the eyes of the world. We have to deny the very self that we are constantly being told to coddle and to preserve and to expand. Taking the crossroad requires some very conscious steps on our part, conscious decisions, if you will. First, we have to make a decision as to whether or not we really want to follow Christ. Most of us are well aware of, let me try that again. Most of us are well aware of the fact that there are many other paths that we can choose to follow other than the path of Christ. There's a lot of things out there you can. Somebody else said, all roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. All ro- uh, other people have said, you can, what, just as long as you're sincere in whatever you believe, you're okay. No, you're not. You can be sincere in what you believe and be sincerely wrong. Choosing the crossroad is not a popular choice. Secondly, how much do we really want to be like Jesus is? If we decide we do want to pursue the ways of Jesus, then we have to accept the the fact that a progressive dying to self is going to be required. Nobody likes to deny their self. Nobody likes to die to their self, but Jesus said that's exactly what we have to do. And we do that in order that Christ's self might come alive. Next, you have to, you may have chosen the crossroad, but next you have to start down it. You have to take the first step. And then once you take the first step, you have to resolve to never turn back, even when the going gets hard. Not if the going gets hard, but when the going gets hard. You see, friends, this idea of crucifixion, which is what the cross represents, Crucifixion isn't painless or quick. But the outcome of crucifixion, the outcome of dying to oneself and the new life that Jesus makes possible, it will be worth every pain, every groan, every obstacle that we come up against. Now, everything that I've said up to this point in time, I've said, as many of you are, a follower of Jesus, right? Brenda and I have now been married a little bit over 44 years. Is that right? It better be. Tara's 43. Um, uh, We've been parents for 43 years. And I will tell you that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I've been a stumbling follower for most of the past 55 years since I gave my heart to Jesus. You know why? Why? Because that road is not easy. And anyone that tells you that it is hasn't been there, hasn't done it. And so I'm not ashamed to confess that, yeah, there is a lot of stumbling in choosing the crossroad. But in all honesty, each of those commitments that Jesus asks us to make in denying self, taking up our cross and following, every one of those commitments, if I'm honest, they're killing me. They're hard. They're not easy things to choose for your life when there are easier paths that you can choose in as an alternative. But it's in choosing that difficult path, 
in choosing that crossroad that we find our hope. I'm praying toward that day when I can say, along with the Apostle Paul, in the words of Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. There he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Now I say, I hope I get to that point someday because here's the reason. There are still times when self wants to have its way. Myself wants to have its way. Myself wants to, to buck up and resist the ways of Christ. And that's why we become stumbling followers. Is because it's a constant battle against self. That's why Paul said in another place, I have to crucify myself daily. It's a daily thing. It's not like you can do it a week ago last Thursday and say, boy, I'm glad that's over. It's not going to work that way. I want the day to come when I, and it'll probably be the day when I step into the gates of heaven and breathe my first breath of celestial air. I have been crucified with Christ. Yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. You know, each one of us, the crossroad looks different for. We don't all have the same road. We don't all have the same, same stumbling blocks. What, what needs to be crucified and put to death and buried in me is going to be something different, perhaps, for each and every one of us here this morning. But with that in mind, I just have a couple of questions in closing. And worship team, would you come, please? At what intersections will you make a conscious choice if you remain in the company of Jesus or know the fullness of his life? Question number two. Are you like those thieves in the story that I told at the start of the message? Do you think you can have a crossless Christianity? Are you ready to take the next step to more fully follow Jesus? Well, I hope your answer to those questions is in the affirmative. I love a verse from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. I've heard it many times before, but I finally looked it up in the new message paraphrase, and it really went along with this message. So in closing, I want to share it with you. Jeremiah chapter, is it 6? 16, yes, 616. And it reads this way. Go stand at the crossroads and look around. Ask for directions to the old road, the tried and true road, and then take it. Discover the right route for your souls. That's why I titled this message, The Crossroad. It's the right road. It's the only road that will get you to heaven. You can't follow Jesus without taking up your cross. You can't follow Jesus without denying yourself. You can't follow Jesus without taking the first step in his footsteps. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, this morning, I'm fairly well certain, Jesus, that every one of us in this room have made a commitment to faith in your saving work of Calvary. We believe that you died on the cross for our sins. We believe that three days later you rose from the dead. 
We believe that you ascended to heaven as we spoke of last Sunday and you sent to us the Holy Spirit to live in us and to clean us up and make us ready for heaven. And I believe everybody probably here this morning has already made that commitment of faith. But Lord, I believe that there's also probably a good number of us here this morning who, like myself, have found themselves to be stumbling followers from time to time. Stumbling followers who still find it necessary to put together or put to death the desires of the flesh and to incorporate your ways into our life, to allow you to live in us, your character, your person, your ways. And Lord, that's not nearly an easy thing to do. It requires, again, as Paul said, a daily crucifixion of ourselves for the sake of the faith that we profess. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning, knowing that probably most of us here in this room are saved and on our way to heaven, we are your followers already. I'm praying, Lord, that you would help us as we follow. Not if obstacles come, but when they come. Help us to remind ourselves, Lord, that you never told us that the road would be easy. You never told us that it would all be uh, roses from here on out once we made that commitment to you. You never promised us any of those things. In fact, you told us that all who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. And so, Lord, when we come up against those obstacles, help us to remind ourselves that this is a road that we willingly chose and that it's a road that will get us to where we want to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please?